Well, good morning again. It's good to see all of you. We love that you are a part of things. I uh, want to welcome those that are with us online. We love that you're a part of things this morning, as well as if this is your very first time with us. I know we got a number of family members here uh, for the child dedications, but I've also met a few others that are here for the very first time. We're glad that you are a part of things this morning as we have an opportunity to dig into God's word. We're going to be uh, kicking off a new series in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, I want to ask uh, a question for you real quick, and it's this. Uh, raise your hand if you call yourself a Christian or at least are interested in what it means to be a Christian. Raise your hand. If you call yourself a Christian, or at least you're interested in what it means. All right? Look around the room. That's most every hand. All right? Put your hand down. Okay, now, raise your hand if you have ever struggled living as a Christian. Raise your hand. Okay. Okay? Like, that's pretty much all of us, Right? Because here's what the enemy wants you to think. The enemy wants you to think you're the only one that struggles at this. Everybody else has their stuff together. Everybody else, it's easy to follow Jesus. They take the nice pictures. Their families are all good. There's never any problems. When they walk in and smile at church, that's what their home life is like always. And you know that's not what it's like always. It's hard. Like living for Jesus, following his ways isn't always easy. It's a challenge. And the good news is that Jesus gave us a lot of advice of what it looks like and how it is we should live our lives. Just think about some of the things that Jesus told us. Uh, he said this. He said, everything happens for a reason, right? And then this one that I love, he says, God helps those who help themselves. And my favorite that Jesus said is this, do or do not, there is no try. These are words... If you know your Bibles, you know the first two are not in the Bible. They're just annoying Christian statements that aren't true. And the last one is Yoda, okay, in case you're wondering. See, here's the problem that we have. Is that we struggle to follow Christ. We struggle to live for him. We struggle to do the things that he's asked. But oftentimes, we don't even know what he's asked. We don't even know what he's spoken. We, we don't even get into his word to say, what is he actually expecting for me as someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus? And so what we're going to be doing is we're kicking off a series today that we've entitled Kingdom Living. And we're going to be spending the next 10 weeks walking through uh, the most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus, probably his most robust teaching on what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What is he asking of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus? All right, we're going to dig into this. And my goal throughout this series is that we're going to dig into these words. We're going to understand what do these actually mean in context, but then, okay, what does that look like for me as somebody who's trying to follow Christ? How should I live in 2022 and be faithful to Christ in that way? And so I hope that this is going to be a series that's very challenging to you. I hope this is a series that makes an impact in your life. And my prayer is that all of us together, when we get to December, we're going to look more like Christ than we do today. But it's going to require us to have open ears to listen to what he has to say. And to be responsive to that. There's a few tools that we're making available to you throughout this series, just so you're aware. One of those is we're doing small groups in association with this. Um, a lot, almost all of our groups are filled up. There's only a handful of spots available. But if you have not signed up yet, I would encourage you to do that. You can go to our website or you can go to our app and just search groups. And you find the handful of groups that sell spots available. They're going to be kicking off this Wednesday night. Almost all of them kick off this Wednesday night uh, right here in the building. And for the next four weeks, they're going to be meeting here. So I would encourage you to be a part of that. If you've signed up, make sure you, you jump in this week. 
Uh, another tool that we're making, some of you saw that when you walked in the door this morning, we've got these uh, flyers we're making a little uh, so that you can take notes. Because if you're going to come to group and have something to say, you've got to kind of remember what you, what you heard. And so it's an opportunity for you to just take some notes throughout this series. If you haven't been accustomed to taking notes, this might be an opportunity for you to do that a little bit throughout this series. Take some notes and, and ask God, okay, what does this mean for me? Uh, the last thing I want you to be aware of is that for our small groups, we are having discussion guides that we're assembling every week that's going to go a little bit deeper, help you dig into this thing. And that's what the groups are going to go through. But maybe you're not able to sign up for a small group, or you didn't, or maybe you get together with some friends, or you just personally want to dig in a little bit deeper throughout the week. We're making those discussion guides available to the entire church. So every week, immediately following service, sir, the messages will be posted, or it'll say, you know, coming soon within a few hours. Uh, so just look under the messages. You can go on our app, or you can go on our website. But right under the message, there's a little thing that says discussion guide. If you click that, you'll have a discussion guide that you can dig in a little bit deeper throughout the week, and I think it can help you in your faith, all right? Would you stand with me as we're going to read our text this morning, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you can turn there in your Bibles. As, a, as you're turning in your scriptures, I just want to celebrate what took place last week. If you missed out last Sunday, we saw 14 people make decisions for faith last week in the adult service, which was awesome. And in addition, we had, outside of this past Easter, it was our largest attended ever in the history. We had 987 people join us last Sunday for services. And what's exciting to see is how, how you guys are taking the steps to invite people in your life, to invite family and friends who don't know Jesus. And our prayer every single week is that people make commitments to Christ, that we'll see lives and homes and families transformed by the hope of the gospel. And so thanks for being a part of that. That's what, that's what we care about more than anything else, that God would be glorified through that. We're going to read just uh, three verses here, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you want to speak to us. And this message that you spoke so many years ago, I know has the power to transform us today. But God, I pray that we would be responsive to listening to you. God, speak to our hearts. I can't convince anyone of anything. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring revelation of this truth. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. I want you to turn to your neighbor. You got 10 seconds. Turn to your neighbor and say, what is one word you think about when you hear the word kingdom? Turn to your neighbor. What's a word you think of when you hear the word kingdom? All right, all right, all right. I don't know what you thought of, uh, but traditionally, if I think about if I think about the word kingdom, I'll think about something like a castle. Did anybody else think about a castle? Okay, some of you think about a castle. I think about a king. Anybody think about a king? Okay. Another thing that I think about is a location. You know, I like here's one kingdom over here, and then we got another kingdom over here, and we got a kingdom over here. But here's what you have to understand: in Scripture, the word kingdom has a little bit of a different understanding. And the word for kingdom actually most clearly is represented by the idea of rule or reign. And in fact, the word kingdom is more like a verb than anything. It's as if we're saying to kingdom or I am kingdoming, I am ruling or reigning. And so in scripture, you'll hear this phrase a lot, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What's, what's really being spoken of there is not a location. It's not the, no, the kingdom of God really means the rule and the reign of God, all right? Now, to understand 
what Jesus says, because Jesus comes talking about the kingdom of God. And when we hear that, it's really easy to think about kingdoms like we think on this earth. But, but to understand what Jesus is really getting at and how it fits in, we have to understand the story of Scripture. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor, shake your neighbor for a second, okay? Shake your neighbor for a second, okay? For the next 10 minutes, I'm going to give you a, a, a really fast walk through Scripture, okay? So it's going to feel like a history lesson, so you got to lean in. If you're starting to fall asleep, you lean forward, stay awake with me, all right? But you got to understand what's going on in Scripture, otherwise you don't know why Jesus is coming and talking about this, all right? So we did a big a, a series back a year and a half ago called The Big Story. And if you missed that series, I would encourage you to go back and watch that entire series as I walk through the big story of Scripture to help you understand that. What happened? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? This is the very beginning of Scripture. In the story of God creating all things, perfect. He creates everything, the heavens and the earth. He's ordering things. He's structuring things. Everything is exactly the way it is. Mankind under God's rule and his reign. It's as if God at the end of chapter 1 has established his eternal kingdom, his eternal rule and reign over all things. And what is it like when God is sitting on his throne over his kingdom? There's no pain, no disease, no sin, no tears. It's just as things are intended to be. But if you know the story, what happens? We get to Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve decide they're going to go their own way. Rather than submitting to God's lordship, being under his authority, under his rule and reign, they say, you know, we're going to do things our own way. And what is the result? Sin enters the world, death, disease, destruction, all that stuff forever. Creation is frustrated because of that moment in time. Now, here's what happens. This whole idea, they've stepped outside of God's authority. And the rest of the story of Scripture is how God is reestablishing his eternal kingdom. In fact, when we get to the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 20, 21, what, where do we get? We get this picture of God once again seated on his eternal throne over all of creation, everything under his authority. And what is the picture at the end? No pain, no disease, no tears, none of that. It's this beautiful picture. See, that's what God is pointing us to. And the story of Scripture is the process of, of doing that again. Okay? And he begins the story by coming to a man named Abraham. You know Abraham. You've heard the story. Comes to a man named Abraham. He says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all of creation and all of mankind. It's this means of I'm beginning this journey of reestablishing this kingdom. And, and Abraham becomes a people and, and ultimately becomes a nation. And there's the nation of Israel. You've heard of that before. And what's the story of the nation of Israel? God says, listen, I want to bless you, and then I want to bless all mankind. But they constantly are turning away from God. And they turn to him, and then they turn away, and they say, God, come help us. And then he comes back. And over and over again, there's this story. And the nation of Israel ultimately becomes the kingdom of Israel. There's a king that's placed. It wasn't God's desire, but they were wanting a king. We want to look like everybody else. So now there is the kingdom of Israel. It's God's people. I'm trying to work through these people, but they keep being disobedient. And they get to a point where God says, listen, you're going to get taken into exile. He raises up the Babylonian empire to come and destroy Israel and take them off into exile. And while the Israelites are off in exile, there's all this prophecy that we read in Scripture, this prophecy about this day to come when God will reestablish his kingdom, his rule and reign. And there's also this prophecy about this Messiah who would be the one to usher in this kingdom of God again, okay? That's what's going to come. And so they're waiting for this moment to happen. Within a few years, what happens? They're released from exile. They get to come back to Jerusalem. They're like, now's the time. The kingdom's going to come again. In their mind, it was going to be this kingdom with borders and boundaries. And, and, and they come back to the land, and they rebuild the temple, but it's a really pitiful. How many of you like Taco Bell? How many of you like Taco Bell? 
But let's just be honest, that's not a real taco, right? Like, well, I'm, I'm offending somebody right now. Like, if you want a real taco, you don't go to Taco Bell. If you need a fast taco, you go to Taco Bell. But if you want a real taco, you go somewhere else. Because I don't know that that meat's even meat. Let's just be honest, all right? And see, here's what happened. Is, is that they come back to Jerusalem, and they try to rebuild the temple, and they try to rebuild the wall, but it just is a cheap imitation. Like, it's not the real thing. They, they look around and like, this is pitiful. This is, this is what it's going to look like when God establishes the This isn't it. No, we're waiting for this Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he'll really establish. And we'll have the big kingdom of Israel again, just like all the other dominant world powers. We'll be that kingdom of God on the earth dominating. See, this is what they're expecting. And for hundreds of years, they're waiting for this Messiah to show up and to do just that. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. And what does it say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17? It says, Jesus, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And everybody sees Jesus, and he's going around doing all these miracles and doing all this Messiah-like stuff. And they're thinking, this could be the time. The kingdom is coming, right? This is the Messiah we have been waiting for. And in their minds, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for a garden kingdom. Garden kingdom. How many of you are gardeners out there? Any of you gardeners out there? Okay. Got a couple gardeners out there. Uh, in our home, uh, we're not known as gardeners, okay? We struggle to keep, we, let's just be honest here, we struggle to keep things alive in our home, like potted plants we don't keep alive. We tried to plant gardens, and we struggle. Like this year in particular, we planted a garden out, you know, just a couple of things out. We got, a, we, no, it wasn't a we. Amber planted a garden. I'm trying to cover for you, Amber. It's not my fault. Okay, so Amber planted a, a plant, and we, one of them was a tomato plant. And uh, we don't do seeds because we're not that good. We, we bought a little plant, you know, a little tomato plant, and we planted the plant in the ground. And it grew, and it's this gorgeous tomato plant out there. We got the stuff, you know, you got to have the little supports around the tomato plant. All this kind of, this is this big tomato plant. But as of two weeks ago, there still had been no tomatoes growing on the tomato plant. And we were telling the story to some friends, and they're like, are you sure you got a tomato plant? I don't, are we growing a tree back there? I don't know what's going on. No, we're pretty sure it's a tomato plant. I think this is a tomato plant. But literally, not even one tomato had showed up on this thing. And then two weeks ago, uh, I, I installed a ring spotlight on the back of my house that has a camera on it. You know these spotlight things? And in the mi- two nights later, in the middle of the night, Amber gets a ding at 2 in the morning that something is in the backyard. And this is the picture. Can we pull up the picture? There's the plant, the deer. Okay, I was worried about the bunny rabbits and stuff. We got a deer, clearly has been eating our tomatoes the entire, like even before the blossoms, there's the deer taking the thing out. Okay, so when you have a garden, a garden has borders and boundaries, right? There's borders and boundaries. If you have a really good garden, you might even have a fence to set up to keep everything out and away from you, right? That's, that's where, and see, this is what God's people were waiting for. They wanted that kind of a kingdom. Like they wanted this king who would come and establish a kingdom like we have on earth, right? With borders and boundaries, just like the Roman Empire. That's what they really wanted. They wanted a powerhouse like the Roman, because Rome had 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 this kingdom and it was taking over the whole world. And they're like, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come in and he's going to build this kingdom up. There's going to be walls and we're going to slowly, by power and force, take over the entire world. And then it'll be the kingdom of God on earth. But when we see what Jesus said... That's not what he talked about. He was pointing to something different. 
And what, what I like to use is this phrase, he was pointing toward a dandelion kingdom. A dandelion kingdom. What do I mean by that? How many of you out there hate dandelions? Anybody hate dandelions? I despise dandelions. They drive me crazy. Why do we hate dandelions? Because they show up anywhere, don't they? You, you, you got a nice, beautiful green lawn, and out in the middle, one pops up, and all of a sudden, two days later, there's like a whole fleet of them out in the yard. Like, you try to kill it, and they just keep coming back. It drives me crazy. You know, but dandelions don't just pop up in your yard. They'll pop up in the middle of a parking lot. You know, they'll pop up coming out the side of a tree. They'll pop up anywhere. They don't really care. There are no borders. There are no boundaries to a dandelion kingdom, right? They just go everywhere, right? And one dandelion, when those little seeds start popping, can multiply all over the place. You see, this is what Jesus was coming to initiate, a dandelion kingdom. Not this thing asserted by power, but something where God began to work in the hearts of individuals. And wherever his people are became a little moment where God's reign and rule existed, where people actually began to usher the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do. God's desire is to rule and reign, not through dominating forces, but that by, through individuals and communities that submit to him and also reflect his kingdom values and ethics. And so here's what Jesus is hoping to do. He's wanting this kingdom of God to spread through your life, through my life, everywhere I go. When people encounter me, they aren't just encountering Greg. They're encountering someone who is committed to a whole nother kingdom who's under the rule and the authority of a whole nother set. I don't try to operate or according to the world standards. No, I live according to God's kingdom, his values, his rule, and his reign. See, that's what Jesus is doing, something totally. They weren't expecting this. They weren't waiting for this. They actually wanted something different. But this is what Jesus is doing. And so we get to the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to be spending our time over the next few weeks looking at. Now, why do we call it the Sermon on the Mount? It's really a deep theological reason why we call it that. It's because Jesus gives a sermon on a mount. It's crazy, okay? It's really deep stuff here, guys. Uh, Write this stuff down. But, you know, a lot of people believe this isn't necessarily like a somebody sitting there and transcribing perfectly one perfect sermon that Jesus gave on a mountainside. Uh, most likely, this is an accumulation of a bunch of teaching that took place. And so even one theologian, theologian refers to it, the teaching on the hill, because <laughs> uh, he's just sitting on a hill off the Sea of Galilee and, and doing this teaching with all of his, his uh, followers. And, and so what is Jesus doing? He's talking to these people. He's saying, listen, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And, and part of that happens through you. And here's what I expect for those who live in my kingdom, who live under my rule and my authority. This is what it looks like. This is the ethic we have, right? This is the way that we live. This is the way that we react to people. This is the way we interact with other people. This is what it looks like to live under my rule and reign. And as we we see in this, the kingdom living that Jesus is calling us to is oftentimes at odds with our world and with our way of thinking. And, And sometimes it'll feel very foreign to us. When you read it, you're like, seriously, that's what Jesus is asking us to do? It'll feel foreign to us. It'll meddle with us and absolutely challenge us to the core. And so as we start this series, we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning uh, digging into just the very first verse of the sermon. And why we, the reason I'm doing this, obviously there's a lot more verses, but we need to dig into this first verse because if we miss the heart of this, then I think we risk turning this sermon into legalistic moralism. 
that just says, hey, try harder, be better, and then maybe God will like you. And that's not what Jesus is doing with this message. And so I want us to dig into this a little bit. So I'm going to pull this verse up on the screen, and it just says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think most of us kind of have a vague understanding of what the word blessed means, don't we? We know, like, yeah, I feel blessed. Like, yeah, experience some good things, positive things, all these things in my life. So I think we all can have a, a basic understanding. But to understand what Jesus is saying here, I think there's two uh, details we need to understand and, and kind of ways to look at this. Number one is that we have to understand blessed by who, okay? Who are we being blessed by in here? You're not being blessed by your mama. You're not being blessed by your friends. You're not being blessed by the community. This is blessed by God. That's who, and not just any God, not just some vague reference of a God out there. Blessed by the God of Scripture. That's what we're talking about here. That's the first lens we have to recognize. But the second one is this, that, you, that there's an eschatological bend to this statement and the next eight. Now, everyone knows what eschatological means, right? Okay. No, you don't. I'm pretty sure we don't. That's fine. Eschatological, that means speaking of the end, end time, speaking of the end. That's what we're talking about, okay? And so what we recognize is in this, they're not, he's not just talking about like right here and now. If you do this, you're going to be blessed right now, which means if you do this, you're going to be, you know, wealthy and healthy and everything will be perfect. There's an understanding that, that this is in the fullness of time. It's not just a temporal recognition, but there is an eternal side to what he's talking about here, Okay? So we have to recognize that. Because remember, what are some other words that Jesus said? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, okay? So, so just because you do all this stuff doesn't mean you will be blessed right here, right now. That's what Jesus is kind of talking about here, okay? And so we have this. Blessed are the poor. Now, who are the poor? At that time, the poor would be those who are unable to provide for themselves. At that time, it, you would be very marginalized, very much like today, marginalized. You could be taken advantage of because you were poor, right, because you couldn't take care of yourself in the same way. You were dependent on others, and very often you were of low social standing because of that, all right? That's what it looks like. But he doesn't just say blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does that mean? It means taking the elements that we just talked about, the poor, and applying it also at a spiritual level. And so who are these poor in spirit? These are the people who are blessed because they understand that they are spiritually bankrupt. It's those who recognize, you know what? I, I got nothing to bring to the table. It's recognizing that I am unable to provide for myself. There's nothing I can do. I am marginalized because there is nothing I can do for myself. I'm dependent on someone else because there is nothing I can do in myself. There is absolutely nothing. I have absolute spiritual poverty right now. And this is something that scripture teaches over and over and over again, that we are sinners in need of a savior. Like none of us like to, to think about that because most of us good church people, because a lot of you are good church people, just like I'm a good church person. And we like to think we've cleaned ourselves up pretty good, right? Like, I'm not like those people out there. Like, I'm pretty cleaned up. Like, I tell you, I don't say those things. I don't smoke those things. I don't drink those things. I don't do those things. I don't watch those things. So I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty cleaned up. That's the way that we can think. We never say that out loud, but we can begin to have that attitude in our lives, right? But our sinfulness is the reality. Our sinfulness, our brokenness, despite the fact that we think we've got our stuff together, our sinfulness means that we find ourselves deserving of God's wrath. Blessed are the people who understand this. Blessed are the people who recognize this, who recognize their spiritual depravity and desperately need 
a Savior. That's why he came. You hear Jesus, our Savior? That's because you need one. It's not just a cute phrase. We call him our Savior. No, you need a Savior because you need saving. I need a Savior because I need saving. Blessed are these people, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the ones who get to come under the rule and the reign of Christ. They're the ones that experience the Zoe, eternal life that only comes through Christ. The spiritually poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, I think this is a critical truth. And, and, and why I say that if we miss this truth, if we miss this reality, we will turn this sermon that Jesus is giving into something it was never intended to be. It becomes legalistic moralism. It becomes this idea of like, oh, I'm not really broken. I'll just try and be better. I'll just try and clean my life up and do all the things Jesus commanded. And if I do that really, really well, then he'll be happy with me and he'll like me. And maybe he'll let me into his kingdom. He says, no, if you think you're the answer, you don't even get to come into his kingdom. If you're the solution, if you're the source, if your goodness, your righteousness is your means to salvation, you are in trouble. Because we can have this attitude, God, I'm going to show God my best. I'm going to bring my best. And the starting point of the kingdom isn't I'll try and bring something better to God. It's that I have nothing to bring, that I am spiritually bankrupt and need a savior. That's the starting point of God's kingdom. Okay? I want to bring us to a story. It's, uh, it's a great story found in Luke uh, chapter 18. Jesus told this story. And I love the setup to this story, if you want to put that up. It says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I love the start up to that. He says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Now, who was a Pharisee? Some of you are like, what is a Pharisee? Pharisees were the group of believers uh, who, at the time, they had really felt like the reason God's wrath had kind of come on his people, why they had so many issues, is because they hadn't been faithful enough to the law. And so what they do, they said, you know what? We're going to go super faithful. We're going to do everything. In fact, they started to put laws around the law to make sure they didn't accidentally break a law. Like they were the best at being legalistic and following the rules. That's who the Pharisees are. So in their day and age, if you were thinking about who is the most pure, who is the most righteous, you would think about a Pharisee because they didn't do anything that would make them unclean. That's who the Pharisees are. So he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Who are the tax collectors? They were the absolute bottom when it came. Okay, they were the ones who were taxing the Jews. Oftentimes, they were Jews themselves working for the Roman Empire and taxing their own people. And the tax collectors were extremely corrupt. Oftentimes, they'd skim a little off the top themselves, and they were going around just being brutal toward people. And so when you talk about earth-viewed righteousness, you've got Pharisees and you've got tax collectors. Okay? Jesus would just drew the biggest spectrum you could have. It goes on and says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Nope, sorry, back up. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, you can almost hear him, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You can just sense the arrogance in this prayer. But then you go on in the passage, and it says this way in the next, I'm going to pull up the next line. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus is is painting a very clear picture for us. And I think first and foremost, this should be a challenge to us who maybe have been following Jesus for a while. 
Because it's very easy to get cleaned up to a point and begin to think, oh man, we almost, like, we forget that we were lost at one point. We, forgot, we forget that we were a sinner in need of a Savior. And we think, oh, I'm cleaned up now. I'm good. No. God forbid that we ever get to that place where we think we are the source of our own salvation. We are the source of our own goodness. God, may I be the same one. Day one is day 50, is day 5,000, is day 50,000. May, may I be the one who says, God, have mercy on me. Because I don't know about your life, but I need God's mercy daily. I just do. I still screw up. I disappoint myself. I disappoint others. I disappoint my Father in heaven. I'm broken. I am in desperate need of a Savior, right? God, may I be that person who recognizes my losses, and I pray that over every single one of us. Because the moment we forget our need of God is the moment we have totally missed the point of the gospel. We become the source ourselves. The kingdom of God is not for those who think they've got their stuff together. It's for those who know they don't, right? And so this is why I think the, the cross of Christ is so beautiful. You know, a lot of times we, we turn to the cross in and, and Christianity, and, you know, we almost turn Christianity into a self-help book. You know, you ever read a self-help book? Christianity, oh, just come to Jesus, right? You come to Jesus, you know, your marriage will be better, Right? And your finances will be better, and you'll have better relationships, and you'll be happier, you'll have more peace, and all those kind of things. And we'd like turn Jesus into self-help. Now, I believe with all my heart, when you submit your life to his kingdom, when you submit your life to Christ, he will help you to walk out and have a better, healthier marriage. You, he will help you live for him in more deep ways. He will help you financially if you'll submit to his wisdom and what he has for you. But more than any of that, the gospel says this, you and I are broken and desperately in need of a savior. And the reason Jesus went to a cross is not so you can have a happy life. It's so that you can be saved from your sin. That's why, Okay. And the gospel is good news. That's why there's some of you walk in the door and you came in this morning, you're a little uncomfortable even being in the church here because you're like, man, all these church people, if they really knew what was going on in my life, if they really knew what I had going on in my life, what I did last week, what I did last year, if they knew the little skeletons in my closet, nobody would want me even in this room right now. Good news. That's who the gospel's for. The gospel is for you wherever you are, whatever you carry, whatever you have done. God says, come to me. Come to me. All you got to do is come and say, acknowledge, God, I need a Savior. Have mercy on me. This is good news for every single one of us. So I want to get to the big so what. We always say, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I've shared today, it says, kingdom living begins and ends on our knees. Kingdom living begins and ends on our knees. When we come to Christ, we don't come our, with our strength. We come with our weakness. That's the moment of salvation, right? We come to Christ. But how many of you know uh, faith is not a simply a decision and a moment in time. It is a journey that we go on, right? And if what we do is we come to our knees before God, God, I need a Savior, and then we stand up and we're never on our knees again, we've missed it. See, it, kingdom living begins and ends on our knees, that, that every day we have a recognition of our need of our Savior, a dependence, a holy dependence on the God of all creation. That's what every single one of us needs, that we maintain a posture of trusting in Jesus for our Savior, even though we get cleaned up. Do we get cleaned up? Yeah. My hope is you look way more like Jesus today than you did last year. 
And my hope is next year you look more like you did than you do today. That's my hope. But guess what? No matter what you do out there, it's still not your source of your saving. Like the source of your saving is Jesus Christ alone. Our cleaning ourselves up is a response, a reflection to what God has already done in our hearts. So I said this, though, that the kingdom living begins and ends on our knees. Because what is the end? It says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 29. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, when we talk about the kingdom of God, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The question isn't will you knee or bow your knee. The question is when will you bow your knee, right? This is what God is leading us to, that we would have this recognition of his holy authority over all, that he truly is king of all. He rules and reigns over all. And would we assume that posture now rather than later, right? I love it this way. It says, says it this way in, in Revelation chapter 11. It says, the kingdom of the world, the rule and reign of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. See, that's where we are heading. The question is, will we do that today? Will we step into his authority? Will we step under his authority? Will we say, God, we exalt and honor you in all that we are. We get on our knees now and declare your lordship, your goodness, your faithfulness, your righteousness. We submit to who you are, God, because you are worthy of it all. Will we do that? One day we will. Will we do that today? So the invitation to God's kingdom is here for every single one of us. We step into his kingdom, but it begins and ends on our knees in submission to the one who is worthy. It begins and ends with a recognition that I'm poor in spirit. I got nothing to give, but I have a savior who has offered salvation to me through Christ. In a moment, I'm gonna give us all an opportunity to respond to God. First, I want to I talk to some of you. There may be some of you here this morning who, you know, you've never responded to Christ. You've never submitted your life to Christ. The good news of the gospel is only available to those who accept the bad news, right? And if you're here this morning and you want to respond to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your head, close your eyes across the room? It says that Jesus uh, bore a cross for our sin, died and rose again, and it says if we would surrender our lives to him, if we would submit to him, if we would recognize his lordship over our lives, we would believe in his death and resurrection, we would be saved. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you'd like to step into God's kingdom, you don't want to wait till some future date, you want to do that now and say, God, I acknowledge your authority, I acknowledge your lordship. If you want to do that right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift a hand across the room and say, yeah, that's me, I need to respond to Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? I don't want to rush it. Yeah. Yeah. If you would, would you, all of you, pray out, respond after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. 
Thank you for dying on a cross for me. I acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in Jesus, and I declare him as Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you responded to him in a moment, I'm going to invite you to join me in a moment. But I want us all to do something as we close our time together this morning. If you are physically able, and I say that if you are physically able, uh, I'm going to invite you to, to come to your knees just for a moment. If you're not physically able, I would encourage you just to, to lean, uh, lean forward if you want to. But I would invite you as a posture to say, God, we want to be those who are on our knees. Would you do that with me? Just in your own words for a moment, can you just pray a prayer of submission to say, God, I come before you. I recognize my need for you. I don't come to you in my strength and my spiritual prowess. I come to you in my weakness and my brokenness. And I'm grateful for your love and your grace. Just have a prayer on your own. Thank you, Jesus. God, we acknowledge our need for you. In humility, we say, God, you are the source and we are not. Father, you are calling us to live a life totally different than the rest of the world. And we're going to do that in response to what you are doing in our hearts, what you have done in our lives, God. We praise you and we adore you, God. God, I pray that you would help us as we walk through this series, help us to faithfully take serious every word you speak. God, that we would live lives that are different, that we would represent your kingdom well, that we would embody your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, or that every person who encounters us would see somebody who lives with different values and different purposes than anybody else, because we live for your reign and rule, Lord. This week, help us to live differently, pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Would you stand with me across the room? I want to give you a challenge this week. I'm going to give you a challenge, and that's this, is that uh, begin your day this week on your knees. Would you take 30 seconds this week? Begin your day. If you can, if you're physically able, get on your knees and say, God, I'm here before you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in my heart, what you've done in my life. Help me to live for your glory today, all right? Let's make that a posture. Make that a heart posture, but also a physical posture this week. All right, if you could do me a favor, also put up the QR code. If you were one of the ones who responded to Christ this morning, I would challenge you uh, to pull out your phone, scan this. We've actually got a foundations class happening next Sunday uh, at 930. And if you are newer, newer to faith or you're looking to dig deeper in your faith, uh, foundations is a great, it's a one-hour class that's going to help you on that journey of faith. You can register for that online. But if you scan this, you're going to get an invitation to that class as well. And we'd love for you to take advantage of that. Otherwise, let's go live this thing. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward, receive prayer uh, this morning. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you back next Sunday. Love you guys.